You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! We fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the field. I do not believe that they will ever acquire it as long as there is war. Free at last! Free at last! Thank God Almighty! We are free at last! Oh, the humanity! What just happened? Happened, happened, happened. Episode 203 From Wired to Wireless. Good morning, Harry. Good morning, Peter. How are you doing? Pretty good, thanks. You, how are things in Nova Scotia? Excellent. We have a lovely spring here in Nova Scotia. Things are budding and dandelions are popping up. The warm weather has finally hit, so that feels good. feels real nice. Yeah, same here. And today we're going to be talking about something new because we've created a new series on the sill and we're calling it What Just Happened. Would you care to elaborate on that? Exactamundo, What Just Happened. Now, we did have a general category of podcast called Time Trek at one point. And this is a kind of a riff off of that idea, taking a kind of historical event or invention or idea and having a lighter chat about it. It's not going to be a heavy welcome to the University of Peter and Harry kind of thing, but it'll be more taking an idea or an invention or an event and just saying, what just happened there? What was the origin of it? How did it evolve? And where are we at with it now? What do we see as the future of this thing that is part of the human evolution? And take it from there. Have a bit of fun with it and just have a chat about something that people often take for granted. Yeah, we're sort of taking the archaic out of historic description, aren't we? We're just going to kind of simplify and entertain and inform, talk about historical perspective and how it relates to modern day life and our daily experience. Right. So our first topic of discussion for what just happened is, this is a strange one for people maybe, but here's the background to this. We had a surveyor come to our property a couple of weeks ago who laid down some stakes to lay out the lay of the land for our property. And at the end of it, I talked to him and he said, oh, when we are out there in the fields, we found this old wire, this old barbed wire. And I said, oh, that's interesting. He said it was probably part of an earlier homestead here. It's not the modern type of wire. It looks like it's handmade barbed wire. He said to me, there's a history to wire. And I thought, really? Okay. I guess there is, isn't there? Like this thing that we kind of take for granted, there is a history to it. What's its evolution? And the more I thought about it, the more applications of wire everywhere that we just take for granted. So we thought, let's talk about wire as an idea. And of course, you and I have many times over the years talked about uh, technology, and specifically in this case, wireless technology, which has been a topic throughout our podcasts in one form or another. And then when you brought that up to me, I thought, wow, what a perfect connection. So we came up with today's first title, which is From Wire to Wireless. So we're going to talk about wire first. We can't do everything, but we can talk a bit about the history of it and the evolution of wire and how it's created and then move into the wireless world and talk about where we're at with that and is wire going extinct is a question we can raise at the end of this discussion as well. So there it is. Let's start with the basics. Imagine we're at university, 
of casualness, and this is Wire 101. So kids, <laughs> what kind of wires do we have in the world right now? If you had to talk about the different wires, what kind of materials go into wires? Typically, it's metallic. Our primary source of wires we normally associate with are wires for electricity or the transmission of electricity. So in this case would be cables of all sorts, underground, above ground, in our homes. Almost all wiring today, modern wiring in homes and underground cables and so on, is made of copper because it's such a great conductor and it's malleable and workable. Then there are structural wire, which is generally steel or aluminum, depending on the application. And when we think of wire cable, for example, it is generally many wires coiled together because it gives you superior strength and malleability. So it's not just a single wire that you think of, for example, for applications where you're using wire to tie things together or wrap things. There are different types of wire. So I think of my childhood slinkies. Oh, yeah. Which was a kind of flattened, rectangular-shaped wire. Because wire, typically, you think of as rounded, circular. But slinkies had a kind of a flattened, metallic wire that was wrapped around and gave it great strength, but also malleability. And uh, I played for that. I played with slinkies for a long time in my childhood. Oh, the finer strands of wire goes into jewelry making. Mm -hmm. Think about guitar strings, all kinds of applications. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And of course, when we talk about wire, we talk about the obvious physical structure of wire. The term wire itself has been adapted in our lexicon and used in our day-to-day -day language as well. We often talk about people being wired or wired magazine. The word is used routinely yeah. in our language to describe many things in many situations. Exactly. Let's talk a bit about the history of it. What do you say? Well, wire goes back way, way back, basically to the Iron Age when uh, that metal was discovered. Well, I would say even farther back because there are archaeological discoveries where they found the use of copper very early on, like 6,000 years ago. Yes, that's true. And we're talking just sort of the use of metals in, in particular, in general, not so much wire, let's say. The wire kind of application of metals really shows itself in Egypt around 2890 to 2686 BC, where they discovered the jewelry had a lot of gold wires wrapped around very fine filigree to make this beautiful jewelry. So they surmised that they sort of took strips of wire, small little tiny strips of wire, then twisted them, then converted them into solid round wires by rolling them between surfaces. And they called that the strip wire drawing method. That eventually was superseded by straight ahead drawing through dyes in the old world, sometime between the 8th and 10th centuries. So the evolution of how the wires were made really changed from a more hand-pulled and drawn methodology to eventually, in the 19th century, to a technologically driven methodology. Even in the Bible, you've got reference to wire, where it says in Exodus 39.3, quote, and gold leaf was hammered out and cut into threads. That was my biblical voice, by the way. Essentially, you're talking about a method of extrusion, which even in modern day, wire begins at a certain dimension and then is pulled and stretched and elongated in order to produce 
wires for many different applications. Yeah, what they do is they pull thin strips of metal through these holes in steel or sometimes diamond dies. And in the earlier days, they would do this by hand. So somebody would have to pull physically the metal through these holes. And to make a smaller and smaller wire, you'd have to have a stronger and stronger person pulling. So they devised these setups where the person would sit in a hanging chair and be able to brace his feet, his legs against the die holding mechanism and then yank as hard as he could to create the wire. So really interesting effort had to go into creating wire in the earlier days. And very interesting visuals as I was listening to you <laughs> speak. I'm, I'm seeing this guy with his feet up against the metal bar and pulling wire through a hole. Let's jump to the medieval period now, because the beginnings of the technological evolution in wire making comes with the beginnings of wire mills in Great Britain in the middle of the 15th century. So that's when you really first had companies set up to create wire of different gauges. And there was really very few of them at the time, only two or three throughout the entire Europe. Right up until the second half of the 17th century, there wasn't much going on there. And so most of wire was still made by hand as a result of that non-evolution, let's say. Another application for wire in the Middle Ages was for chain mail. Ah, yes. Which is pretty damn important when you're sending your troops out to battle. For armor, yeah. For armor that was sturdy but also flexible. That's one of the beauties of wire. So that was happening in the medieval period. Then we get into the 19th century, where one of the earlier impetuses to the evolution of wire was the discovery of electromagnetism. Yes. Early 1800s, 1820, 1831, in that range, Michael Faraday proved that magnetic fields can induce currents. And also James Clerk Maxwell predicted that a changing electric field has an associated magnetic field. So that technological revolution impelled the development of wiring, especially electrical wiring. So in the 19th century, you began to get the industrial evolution really start to kick in. All the requirements for large tonnages and great lengths of steel and copper wiring, that requirement became very acute, especially after the invention of wire rope and uh, the development of the telegraph in the 1840s and the telephone patented in 1876. Yes, and that was also a critical time frame in there because you're talking about the telegraph, which was in the 1840s. Mm -hmm. And it did not last very long because, as you said, the invention of the telephone, which was 1876. However, in between, there was the transmission of the telegraph system, which became critical. And they were thinking about transmitting telegraph signals across the continents over the oceans. Yes. And that's when the laying of the transatlantic cable became not just an idea, but a reality in progress. Yeah, this is a fantastic story when you go into it. An American businessman named Cyrus Field was inspired to embark on this project of laying down a transatlantic cable across the Atlantic, almost 3,000 miles, mm -hmm. which for the middle of the 19th century, because this whole thing took place between about 1858 and 1868 in that range, because he had many attempts 
to lay a cable across the Atlantic that failed miserably, you know, where 300 or 500 miles into the laying of the cable, it would snap and drop to the bottom of the ocean and they wouldn't be able to get it back up to the surface. And so they'd have to go back and finance it again, millions and millions of dollars of 19th century dollars, multiply that by about 50 to get our current costs. But he was stubborn. He kept going back for more funding and support and managed to do this thing eventually by about 1868 or so. Mm -hmm. He certainly had the power of persuasion in order to do that. He was apparently a very charming and very convincing man, not to everyone's favor, of course, because a lot of people disagreed with the whole idea. Some people thought he was out of his mind, the whole concept. And the amazing thing about this whole thing as well is that the technology was improving as these trials were going on. So with each trial, the materials were getting better. The wires were getting better. The system of laying the cable was becoming more creative in terms of how they were going to lay the cable. And then eventually, by the end of it, they were actually able, which is amazing in itself, to manufacture an actual wire for the laying of the cable that was the full length, which was over 2,500 miles in a single cable. Imagine that, a single cable. That's extraordinary. It took eight months to create the cable, first of all, and then they needed a ship that was sturdy enough that could carry this thing across the Atlantic. Which was the Eastern in 1858. Yeah, it was actually called the Great Eastern, to be accurate. And now there are more than 500 submarine communication cables crisscrossing the oceans of the world. So that was a historic moment. And it was celebrated like it was the winning of a war, too, on both the North American side and the European side of the world. Now, that cable was laid down before the telephone was invented. So there's another very important technical shift here in that the original cable was designed for telegraph messaging. It didn't require anywhere near the capability or capacity that you required for phone conversations. So the development from that point on was incremental, constantly being increased in order to accommodate the amount of information that had to be transmitted across these oceans. And as you said, there are now over 500 routes. And of course, the wire has evolved from standard wire to fiber optics and so on to allow for multiple, multiple, we're talking thousands and millions of communiques per second around the globe. Incidentally, just a sidebar, Peter, this uh, first laying of the cable all the way across the Atlantic was hailed with great celebration. And it turns out that within a month of that laying of the cable across the Atlantic, it failed. Yes. The communication lines failed, and there was incredible anger towards Cyrus Field and disenchantment and all that. So, from great triumph to defeat, and yet... He went back and he did it again, again, gathering all this money, talking millions of dollars, mm -hmm. probably about $50 million before it was done in our money, and he did it. So kudos to an incredible figure who is little known in this world right now, but he will be known. Well, he'll be better known after this podcast, but it's true. There's been very little that we hear about him. And many scientists or many people in the industrial and technological world cite him as one of the most significant figures of the 19th century. 
Now, another significant figure who is not known very well is a fellow by the name of Joseph Glidden. And he patented what he called barbed wire, Mm -hmm. what some people called the devil's wire, in the late 1860s in order to control livestock. Because up until that point, cattle were allowed to kind of roam freely and had to be corralled and gathered back into the fold by cowboys on horses, etc., and brought to market in that way. And there were many, many different types of barbed wire evolved during that period. And it actually led to the end of the Wild West. Yes, it transformed the West completely. Yeah, because the larger farmers, the wealthy farmers, were able to buy this barbed wire and encircle their fields, which left less room for the smaller farmers to bring their flocks across the landscape to market. And so the cowboys that would have been hired to bring the cattle to market, there's no jobs for them there. So they ended up becoming farmhands on these big farms, ostensibly kind of ending the Wild West. Mm -hmm. And then you can move into the early part of the 20th century, where barbed wire becomes actually an incredibly horrific weapon in the First World War. Between the trenches in no man's land, you'd have this sort of circular, spiraling mess of barbed wire that would have to be somehow cut through or crawled through that probably took a lot of people's lives caught up in that wire. It took a lot of people, took a lot of horses as well. Mm-hmm. Second World War, of course, the camps were surrounded by barbed wire so the prisoners couldn't escape the camps. As with many technologies that are created, they go from sort of peaceful, productive ends to destructive or military applications. Mm-hmm. Also, electrical wires, because of their nature and their use, required the evolution of insulating materials to coat the wires so they wouldn't short out if there was liquids or if they were exposed to the elements, etc. So plastics, rubber-like polymers, varnishes were evolved to jacket these wires and cables to keep them safe from the elements. And the main element, of course, in the beginning was water, especially when we're talking about the laying of cables under the oceans. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, there is also the factor of people being able to access these wires and not just the environment damage them, but you could also have animals, you could have other things that would access them and damage them. And so these coatings were not simply for chemical or reactive measures. They were also for body protection. Exactly. So the world is, as we know it now, really would not be possible without wires and the evolution of wires. Not only that, Harry, the wire makes wireless possible. And this is where we're going to make this transition to modern day. When we talk about wires, of course, the word wireless comes to mind. And for a period of time, many people think that wireless is a new thing and that wires are old things. But really, they ran side by side for some time. In fact, there was a fellow named James C. Maxwell that theoretically predicted and then proved the existence of electromagnetic waves in the 1860s. And that's when Heinrich Hertz experimentally confirmed the actual existence of the electromagnetic wave in 1888. And so that was the birth of wireless as we know it today. Right. And Heinrich Hertz then went on to start up a a car rental company, didn't he? (laughs) 
I think that was a relative of his, yeah. Otto Hertz. <laughs> Why do we have wireless technology? What was the reason for going there and growing that technology to begin with? Well, basically, what does it do? It allows people to communicate over long distances and using frequencies and waves instead of using transmission through a physical wire. We now use the earth and the atmosphere to send these waves across great distances and allow us to communicate without the building of all these physical infrastructures that are required in order to transmit electricity through wiring systems. However, without the wire to begin with, wireless would not exist. Well, of course, because you have the source of power, whether it's the sun or the wind or the movement of water, you have the end product, the machine turning on and working, that then allows the wireless to actually work. But in between, you have wires that join the whole thing together. Oh, and then there's this. The wonders of wireless communication were ushered in with the advent of the radio. In 1900, the U.S. Patent Office granted Tesla two patents for the fundamental design of the Tesla coils. And those radio patents gave him ownership over one of the key necessities in radio communications. That same year, Marconi filed a patent for tuned telegraphy. At first, the Patent Office denied Marconi's application on the grounds that his work relied on the use of Tesla coils. Unfazed, Marconi used his father's connections and wealth to spearhead a profitable business based on his telegraph technology while continuing to pursue his radio patents. In 1901, Marconi transmitted the first transatlantic telegraph between St. John's, Newfoundland in Canada and Cornwall, England. He then reapplied for three years while gaining financial support from company investors Andrew Carnegie and Thomas Edison. Finally, in 1904, the U.S. Patent Office inexplicably reversed its earlier decision and gave the Italian the patent for the invention of the radio. Marconi then went on to win the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1909, highlighting the rivalry with Tesla. And then in 1915, Tesla unsuccessfully sued the Marconi company for patent infringement. Ironically, Marconi's company sued the U.S. government in 1943 for patent infringement during World War I, though the case never made it to court. Instead, to avoid the lawsuit altogether, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld one of Tesla's patents, thereby restoring Tesla, who had died a few months earlier, as the inventor of the radio. Notwithstanding that turn of events, most people still think of Marconi as the father of the radio. Can you tell me, like, what... See, this is a mystery to me, Peter, because I've just... It's my brain. This artistic brain of mine will not allow me to understand how wireless actually works. How does information get somehow translated into waves, as you put it, and then at the other end of the conduit, where there are no wires, it's reinterpreted and understood? Well, there are two things you have to understand with wireless. First of all, it's not just a wave. The wave is actually a mode to transmit information. So the wave itself is simply caused by a vibration of material 
that creates this uniform wave, you then have to take the data and you have to convert the data so that it's sent from the source and the waves are used to carry it. And then when it reaches its destination, you have to have the mechanics there in place to again decode the information and transmit it back, much like when we speak into a microphone. The voice is converted to a wave, the wave goes into the microphone, and then at the other end, again, it's translated back to the voice. So the wave itself is just a carrier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's essentially like a road for a car. Mm. The car is the information, and the road is the platform on which that information travels. So imagine it wirelessly now, you're now using airwaves. The wave is communicated bouncing off the earth or through the atmosphere. In fact, at nighttime, things are transmitted better than they are during the day, usually because there's less interference. Right. And that brings up some of the problems that wireless creates. Because wire transmission is still the most secure and most favored. Even in your own home, we use wireless all the time. However, if you have an Ethernet cable attached to your computer, you're less likely to experience dropouts, and you will also experience generally higher speeds and better performance with an Ethernet connection than you will with a wireless. And what kind of wiring is an Ethernet connection? You've seen these cables with the plastic ends that go from your modem directly into your computer. It's a wired system that carries the data instead of it being wireless throughout your home. Okay. So what are the applications of wireless? What are the many applications of wireless? Well, day to day, we know it very commonly, for example, are cell phones, computers in our homes, remote controls that are able to typically over 30, 40, 50 feet in your home, where you're able to control your speakers or your television sets and so on. And that, by the way, is one of the inherent problems with wireless, because wireless degrades exponentially uh -huh. as you move away. That's why sometimes you will go to your backyard, walk a few feet, whatever, and find it. You no longer have wireless on your phone or on your system. I see. However, it offers so many benefits and so many cost benefits that the technology is constantly improving. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is the future for wireless and wiring? I mean, is there going to be both happening into the future as far as we can see? Or you think we can somehow eschew wiring altogether and just go completely wireless at some point? It's very difficult to predict with 100% assuredness because I don't have the expertise. However, given the technological progresses and given that the cost benefits of eliminating physical systems to transport these communication capabilities, I suspect that at some point we may reach the level of being able to eliminate a lot of infrastructure costs to create these systems. So perhaps the elimination or Certainly, if not the elimination, the diminution of the physical systems that are in place today. I suppose one of the possible evolutions would be out of left field, I'm just saying this, would be the development of telepathic communication as a human evolutionary leap. Yes. I mean, there's that possibility too. And if you can do it that way, why can you not do it with the application of, as we've mentioned many times recently, AI, the developments that come from AI may be something we don't even recognize today. Mm -hmm. So if you can do it telepathically from brain to brain, I'm certain that at some point you'll be able to manifest that in some form 
utilizing technologies that today maybe don't even exist. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground here from the ancient world and the development of wires and metallurgy to the 19th century developments to the wireless world and what the future may bring. Anything else to add about uh, the world of wired and wireless before we close her down? I think one of the big things now, of course, is cloud computing. And cloud computing is a perfect example of systems that are using transmissions that most people go, what the heck is a cloud? Where is it? Exactly. I don't know where it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because the whole idea of a cloud is beyond perhaps the understanding of rudimentary communication capabilities or transmission of information simply because it seems so elusive. It's a difficult thing to explain to someone who doesn't understand all the things that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. It's literally grasping for something in thin air, as they say. Well, that's it. For people like me, who are kind of almost mechanically inclined in the way I think, I'm thinking like, where are the steps leading to this cloud? You can't grasp a cloud, so how do you actually locate anything in it if it's a bunch of floating bits of information? Where is it floating? Where the hell is it? And to close this discussion, there's something else which is on the minds of not only everyday people, but on technicians and scientists and so on. One of the biggest challenges with the wireless system is security. Mm -hmm. Because when you have something in a physical component, it's much easier to defend against things because you have a physical item which you can sort of constrain or visualize. Whereas once it goes into the so-called cloud, it then becomes a target for other systems to access that particular data that is, i.e., floating around. And this is what scares a lot of people, especially people who don't understand the system. And those that do understand the system are frightened or challenged for other reasons, because they know that if they can do X, the other guy can do Y. And so there's this constant back and forth. The challenge now will be how can you create it so that it's used for positive ends and reduce or eliminate the destructive side of negative objectives. Yeah. So I think we can wrap it up with Wire, this podcast. And I'm going to string my Dixie Cup and Wire over to you and your Dixie Cup, and we'll have a conversation after this briefing. Hello, hello, Harry, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Fade out. Ciao, Harry. Ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.